Well, two, one, we're live. Well, good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Overtime. Uh, we are joining you today from our homes, so welcome to my house, and Josh is also at his home. I, I guess, would you call that a home studio, Josh? Is that what you've got? This is what we call the study. So, because we have a studio oh, at study, church, okay. yeah, so we have these different words, like studio, study, office, because I got all those, and so this is the study. This is what we refer to yeah. as, so. So we want to say thank you for joining us. This is a uh, another episode of our Overtime, which is our weekly podcast where we get to do a little bit deeper dive into the weekend message. This week looked a little bit different as we did what we were calling Home for the Holidays, which was basically us being able to say, hey, let's take a week to thank our volunteers and not make them come up, you know, show up a couple days after Christmas and for everybody to kind of continue in the celebration of their Christmas weekend so we did it all virtual so we hope that you enjoyed that format hopefully if you had any questions you were able to figure them out or please let us know if you have any questions regarding that i'm going to just mute this over here because i have myself in my ear as it went live on the website so uh thank you so much for joining us we hope that this is something that challenges and encourages your walk we are back this sunday that's january 3rd so it's the first sunday of the new year we're back live and in person there's three ways that you can join us that you can either join us inside uh, all you got to do is come in there'll be ushers that will kind of escort you to a seat socially distanced we ask that you would wear a mask for that. You can just show up for that. You can watch from our parking lot with our LED screen and kind of tuning into 104.1, and that will allow you to hear everything that's happening inside, and you can watch from the screen. Or, as always, you can join us virtually, which we online have 9 o'clock, a 10.45, and a 5 o'clock service all on Sunday. So we hope to see you again this week as we kind of start January of 2021, brand new year. I'll be excited. I'll get the opportunity to share with you um, uh, a message that I'm kind of calling Uncommon Hope, kind of as we go into a new year, how we can have a, a renewed hope in who Christ is and what he's done, even when things look kind of um, bleak. I was going to say gleek, but that was bleak and, you know, I was mixing two words. And glim, it sound right. So glim. glim, that's yeah. what I was thinking. So when things look bleak, I'll just go with that one. So we are excited that on the 10th, we are going to be kind of starting a new series, but it's still the series that we've been working on for the last 20 or so weeks. We'll be working through the book of Luke, Luke but we are starting a series called Happy Strife, Happy Life. We're pretty excited for this, where we can look at kind of the difficulties and the challenges that we go through and how God uses that for our, our benefit and for his glory. So that's kind of all the updates that we have for now. As always, if you have questions, we would encourage you to please let us know. You can text us overtime at CLC Family, or excuse me, you can email us at overtime at clcfamily.church. You can text us at 610-869-2140. If you're watching this live, you can also jump onto our website, hit, hit the watch live tab, and you can actually interact with us live as well. Or if you're catching this via podcast, please as I already mentioned, reach out to us any way that you would like to. So, Josh, we kind of wrapped up week series, uh, week six of God with us, which again is still a continuation of our Luke series. Um, and, and we were specifically talking about not just the singular event of Christ coming and being Emmanuel, God with us, but we were looking kind of all over the timeline. So, as we looked at week six, from your living room. Thanks for allowing us to be there. And also really appreciated the uh, felt board. You're welcome. Digital You're welcome. Board. I knew we needed it. <laughs> I, I saw that and I was like, he, he must have took a picture of that felt board, cut it out, cropped it, and got it perfectly in there. I, so, I didn't take a picture of that one. It was a different one. It was green. Okay. I found okay. one online, yeah. So uh, do you want to kind of give us a recap of what we talked about this past week? Uh, yeah, if I can. Uh, it, to be honest with you, I, I miss you all when I'm – talking to a video screen uh such a weird world and you know yeah there's lots of um tutorials out there that says don't talk to a screen or don't talk to a camera talk through a camera and i don't even know what that means i have no idea <laughs> other than i'm trying to like imagine you on the other side sitting in your pajamas drinking some hot cocoa telling your kids to be quiet and then finally going forget it just do whatever you want to eat whatever you want to <laughs> Climbing the Christmas tree. And so, what a crazy world, but very excited to be in this world with you all. And um, so, this is week six of God with us, coming, still same kind of idea of 
the, the whole goal of the gospel. Like, so this it's weird that we have to, you know, kind of carve out some time at Christmas to rethink about it. But the whole goal of the entire gospel, the whole goal of the Bible, the whole goal of humanity is just this, that God wants to be with us forever, right? Both in yeah. uh, his presence and in his partnership. So if that's the goal, well, how does that go about? Like, how in the world is God going to make that message known? to all people. And so week six is still looking at the very same thing as how does God work a plan that gets all of us to him, right? And how does he go to make sure that every single man, woman, and child in our entire world can hear about this and either accept or reject these claims? And so we kind of looked at how the plan is going to be implemented. In fact, the way that I'd like for you to think about this is um, when you think about a bomb being detonated, terrible thing, you know, watching Nashville, the terrible news of Christmas. No. If you could invert that, right, instead of thinking about a bomb of just complete destruction, but some kind of movement, some kind of detonation button that resets the whole world, like this button then goes down these, you know, fuses that, you know, are that content, like this, this button that goes to, to ignite this really, really great movement. Well, how does that happen? And so I want you to imagine is that Jesus, 2,000 years ago, in the story of God being with us, is actually pressing the detonation button to make all things sad, untrue. So how how does that play out, I think, is what we're trying to sort through and figure out. And what I kind of share with you, the big idea is Jesus has a plan. And it's going to seem crazy. And it will definitely not work if he's not God. But the good news is, is he's God. So it will work. And the better news or as good of news or beneficial part of that is we have 2,000 years of historical context to look at broken people doing really broken things and still see that God is bending and shaping all things for our good and his glory. In fact, I was just reading this past week uh, about your hometown, actually, uh, Providence. And well, I just... Well, what happened this week in Providence? Well, you know, what's really neat is that I think it was in the 1600s, one of the guys, and I can't tell you his name, maybe you know the founder, who decided to name it, named it Providence. Roger Williams, yeah. yeah. To, uh, like, with this big declaration of who God is and what he had always yeah. been doing, literally, that God sees all things and works in all things. So Rhode Island gets founded with that that statement, providence, that for, throughout yeah. history, hundreds of years earlier or previous to us, thousands of years, God has always been working on this plan. And this plan seems really crazy and it's not going to work if he's not God, but he's God. And so what we saw and what we're going to look at again as we talk about it today is there's kind of this three-part deal of God being with us. The first one is he showed yeah. up. Like he showed up in the form of a baby in a manger. So he shows up. It's so important. There's this... Um, when I was in college, I got to participate in like student government activities, and there was this big sign in the student activities like meeting room, and it literally said, "The world is run by those who show up." Right? Like the first step is you got to actually show up to do something. And so the crazy thing about the God with us kind of wrapping up is Jesus actually shows up. But he doesn't just show up. He then invites other people into the story. So the first step is show up. Yeah. The second uh, step is come and see. Right, And then the third step is he invites us to go and do. By the way, when he invites us to go and do, guess what we're doing? We're showing up. And so it's the yeah. cyclical pattern that he uses as people. So we see these 12 ragamuffins, random dudes that just almost seems arbitrary. Like, are you sure these are the guys? Are you sure this is the right way? And so you see these people show up. And so we just kind of looked at the pattern and kind of imagined what could 2021 look like for us if we'd show up mm. and invite people yeah. to come and see and then be called to go and do. And so it's a crazy plan. But it will work because he's God. And so we saw this story first of Jesus, of Luke defining who these 12 disciples or apostles are, these 12 sent ones. And then we got to go back a little bit and look at the, the actual story of how this played out for them to become apostles. And so we were in John chapter, John chapter 1 and I think Luke chapter 6, if I remember. Yep. Yeah, uh, correct. Yeah, I think so was... that's a good big idea. Jesus came, showed up, and he invited us to come and see, and then calls us to go and do. And so what we do recognize and kind of wrapped up with this thought on Sunday is 2020, the opportunities to invite people to come and see sure have shrunk. In so yeah. many ways, they've shrunk. And even this kind of weird, strange way of how, how we're communicating now is, is because it's hard to come and see in, you know, in, yeah. in a tangible you know, face-to-face thing. So we're trying to figure out how to invite people to come and see in this digital world. But if 2020 uh, limited our opportunities to invite people to come and see, it actually 
probably increases our opportunities to go and do. So really excited about leaning into what might be a really fun year, might be a difficult year, but regardless of the year, there's lots of joy and blessings to be had in it as we go and do. So that's how we wanted to bookend this series, imagining us now being the God with people by heading into the world with Jesus. Yeah. And one of the things I think you said early on is that you were kind of hoping to bridge, you know, the year 2020 with the year 2021. And and that was um, kind of part of the the vision as you talked a little bit about kind of the idea of us being able to go and be good neighbors. And maybe this wasn't all communicated just on Sunday, but maybe some of the vernacular you've already used in weeks past. But I thought that that was an interesting take of going, hey, you know, 2020 has looked completely different. And I think this Sunday we're probably going to focus a little bit more on that and then kind of the hope for the future. But I think that that's important to say, hey, while we may feel limited in some areas in 2020 and it's changed, it doesn't mean that there's not great opportunities and things that God has in store for the year 2021. Um, and and not to dismiss 2020 that God didn't have opportunities in that. Obviously God is sovereign, he's providential, and he has things that are in store that he's doing. So uh, as we looked at that, um, you know, even what you were just saying, that showing up, I do feel like I've always heard, you know, that's always the first step. Uh, specifically, I think I've heard that in parenting. Like, you know, what's the first step you need to do is, well, you need to be there. You need to be present. You need to show up. And, and it, you know, if your kids are fighting in the living room, you need to go into the living room. So you need to show up. I think that that's such a valuable point that you're making is that Jesus first shows up on the scene. How do we as believers, I guess, my question becomes, how do we believe or we as believers know how to discern what it is that God is calling us to um, or what is a good thing for us to participate in? Because the reality is, is that there's a ton of opportunities for us all the time, right? Like it's usually not a lack of opportunities that we have, or at least this is my experience. Maybe some of our listeners have it different. How do we know what it is that we should show up for? And I guess I'm asking in a practical, like uh, how do we discern that? Yeah, great question. A um, couple of things there. One, you're talking about, you know, you got to go in the living room when your siblings are fi- or your kids are fighting. I'm like, yeah, you go in with a camera and you film this stuff. And I was just thinking <laughs> kind of fun, you know, like, oh, man, let's see this happen. And I was thinking, oh, that's kind of it's kind of messed up. But that is kind of the world we're in. Right. In fact, if, yeah. you, uh, if you think about the big events you've been to, but when you're allowed to go to big events. Right. Like, yeah, right. Going to concerts or you show up someplace where there's something happening or even weddings now and what you look around you what you see is a bunch of people watching the world through their screen trying to film it right and so it's almost like they're trying to bring everybody else in without actually pausing for a second and experience it it's more it's about the the presentation of the being present than it is about actually being present so i I think i think the reality is it's a great question of okay how do we know um I think the reality is before we start with how do we know, we have to actually learn how to actually be present, right? You, you're, you're picking up on this now. Like even if you're visiting and traveling with people right now, some of you are watching this from like your in-laws house or uh, from family. And right now it's really hard for you just to be present. Like think even about yeah. when you have a meal with your family, if you haven't done it very often, it feels a little awkward, right? I know that sometimes I just eat fast and go, am I supposed to sit here? Right. There's just something <laughs> awkward about just being present so we need something tangibly to sh- you know like we're more active and present on our social media feeds than we are with what's right in front of us so i just say the first step is actually you know strengthening a muscle that we all have and a muscle that's been uh, already been strengthened in 2020 of just being present where you are one of the yeah. Yeah. one of the benefits of this chaotic world is we are where we are a lot of times and can't actually go and be anywhere else so i say it really has shrunk our ability to invite others to come and see the reality is it's actually increased our ability to be present where we are so i would just argue that the first step is actually always just being present right uh, for some people that's that's pretty simple uh, for others I, like I, I would i'd put myself in the category there are some people who are where they are and not anywhere else right and so you you know these people yeah. if you if you're the opposite and you actually find yourself frustrated with them because they're not thinking about the future they're not thinking about whether or not they should have planned that meal like even like driving down the road you're frustrated because you, they're driving and you're like you're just driving and right now you're in the right lane turning left at this intersection do you understand how much quicker it'd be if you're in the left lane right there's just a lot of people who are everywhere else but where they are and so and there's a lot of people that are just where they are not anywhere else and so trying to imagine like the marriage of those two things and so 
So if you're the type who is everywhere else but where you are, I think first step is could you strengthen the muscles just to be present and be curious? Mm-hmm. Like, okay, God, you've put me in this moment at this time. Not go find a different moment, but put me in this moment at this time. What is it you want to show me in this moment, in this place? There's plenty to learn mm-hmm. in every single moment. So I think the first one for many of us is just that uh, the, the person you're asking the question for, I think it's probably right where you are is where God would like for you to be. Not somewhere else. Yeah. Now, on the other side, the, the folks are always where they are and not where they need to be. There's kind of a question of a go, well, what's the purpose? Like, why are you here? And uh, instead of just being present because it's easier, could you imagine what God could want you to do here in this place, right? So could you be active in whatever it is? So if you're sitting right now with your in-laws, like, there's some stories to be listened to and heard. Right there's some so there's some experience. If God is providential in all things, we just talked about literally the the name of the the big city in Rhode Island. If there is such a thing, right? Is is like it's God not that is, big, but is God is living and active in all things. So the reality is where you are is where God could reveal some pretty neat things to you. So I just think we're so busy yeah. not thinking about what God could be up to or trying to get to the next thing that we're actually missing the real opportunity we're in. So the real question you should be asking yourself over and over again is why has God put me in this spot right now? Like yeah. right now, like, like even for us, like, okay, what is God doing in this conversation? What could God be yeah. up to? So there's just this awareness that we have to have that God is at work in all things at all times. And so yeah. there's always something to be learned. So there, what that means is there's just no real wasted moments if we see them as God given. And here's kind of the crazy thing about that. The reality is we're not really given anything in the future yet. Right. I mean, Jesus says it this way after giving this really crazy sermon on the Mount, which really is telling people, how do you be present in what you're dealing with? Okay. Someone hits you on the right side of the cheek in the, in the present moment. Well, let them hit you on the left. What? Some soldier (laughs) asked you to carry his, you know, bags, you know, mile and, why don't you go ahead and carry them too, right in this moment? Now all of a sudden yeah. you're walking with this guy for another mile, right? Now you can have some real conversation. Yeah. He can be kind of confused by the moment, and you get to talk about, well, this is what my rabbi tells me to do, right? And so he gets to the end of that, and then he says, you know, why worry about tomorrow for the day has enough worries of its own, meaning there is this this responsibility for us to be present. In fact, he tells us this way. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these other things will be added to you. So the moment in front of us is how do we see the kingdom of God at play in exactly where we are? So it just means we have to pause and take a pulse on what's going on in our world every single moment of every single day because that's the only thing we've been given so far. He hasn't given us the next week yet. Yeah, I think that that's a great, great, I think you're right. Like without even thinking through that, my bias is tend, I tend to be everywhere but where I am. Right. Like I'm thinking kind of of what the next step is or the next three steps. Um, And so you're right. I think that for me, it is going, hey, be present. What does God want to teach me? What does he want to show me? What does he want to do right here and now? And so for me, I can always be thinking of, well, what's the next thing and what do I say yes to? And how do I go about that? But I think that that's a really good point of of, you know, how do we know what to show up to? Well, God is probably already bringing it to my attention. It's just whether or not I'm realizing it in the moment and I'm seeing it for, for what God is doing. Um, so, so as we kind of continue into this, basically, as we look at the text uh, found in Luke chapter six, um, and I've got it to my right. So if you see me looking off into the distance, that's why um, Luke chapter six, really, we only covered, what is it? Three verses. So it's 12, four verses, uh, 12 through 16. And this is basically where Jesus kind of chooses his 12 apostles Um, You had talked about kind of uh, the followers of Jesus, like there was people that were following Jesus that were with him. But now there's a distinction between the 12 that he chooses. Uh, I guess in my mind, my my first thought is, as as I'm looking at that, is what made this group set apart from, and, and this is probably an observation question, like not sure if you can fully answer it or maybe if there was some study, like what what made him choose the 12 rather than having just a ton of followers that followed him and went about like, was it a more of a deeper commitment? Was it more of an investment in, in these 12 or what made these 12, I guess, different than the rest of his followers? Oh, good question. Um, I don't, I don't know the answers to it. Uh, I mean, so it's speculation, but the one thing we know about the ones we've seen is uh, particularly uh, Peter and Andrew, James and 
John, the sons of Zebedee, which, I mean, the reality is the fact that they're called the sons of Zebedee means Lucas telling us, you know Zebedee, right? So there's probably some influence and affluence that's connected to James and John, because why else would Luke tell us who they are? Unless somehow yeah. the people reading that in the first century go, whoa, that's Zebedee's boys, you know, and like otherwise they're going, what? You know, so there's probably something to that. But the one thing we see all of them have in common is the word immediately, right? Mm. And so when all of them are invited in, it literally goes immediately, they they, they left what they're doing and started following them. That is yeah. irresponsible if you're <laughs> if you're thinking about the future, right? So yeah, right. what that means is these guys in that moment, we just talked about either you are where you are and not think about anything else or you're everywhere else but not where you are. And there's got to be some kind of – there's got to uh, be some kind of connection between, you know, why we're about tomorrow today has enough worries of its own and who would build a building without killing the cost. There, There is some connection between those two, and that's why it's really neat to have people – uh, that kind of live in both camps. But what you see in that moment, it seems really irresponsible. What they did is they just immediately follow him. Didn't even, like it right. was just a gut reaction, which is pretty neat. Like if you read uh, Malcolm Gladwell's Blink, his argument is, look, you could spend a lot of time and energy trying to like do the pros and cons, come up with all the reasons to make a decision or not make a decision. But ultimately in all of his study and research, that gut reaction, that immediate reaction is almost always, if not always, the right decision. And so these guys, they just immediately follow him. And we understand this if you're a parent because you understand that delayed obedience is still disobedience, right? If I go, go clean your room or, hey, would you bring the trash cans in? Yep, I'll get to it later. What? Right? Like, like, I just asked you to bring the trash cans in, and you'll say you'll get to it later. What you're saying to me is, hey, what you want me to do now doesn't really matter because I've determined that I have a better decision than you do. And so we understand that delayed yeah. obedience or partial obedience, yeah, I'll kind of follow you, but I'm also going to really keep an eye on my, my enterprise and my business, are, are still two forms of disobedience. And so yeah. uh, what, what I just maybe offer is the, the fact that there is this gut-level immediate response, and you see it even with – Nathaniel that we read about and going, you're the Messiah. Like there's just this instinctual, we have seen it, we have heard it, and nothing else really matters. And uh, Jesus tells a couple of parables, and one of the ones he tells us is that the kingdom of God is like, you know, finding a treasure in a field and going, I got to have it. And then you go back and sell everything you have just to buy the treasure. Like So there is this something about these folks who seem to be really, really intrigued and interested in pursuing the kingdom yeah. of God. And that's why, you know, I was sharing a story last week about, and I shared a couple weeks ago, maybe a month ago at, at church of my experience when I got to go and share the gospel in Africa and just seeing like the, the immediate response of people praying the prayer aloud in Swahili and just immediately going, yep, that's what I've been looking for. These are, it just seems like there's an awareness that some people are, are seeking and searching the kingdom. And when they find it, they're going, that's it. We have so many trinkets and so many other things to distract us that we're like, oh, we sure that's it? Because life isn't really that bad the way it is already. I mean, if we could add Jesus to it, great. But so I think what you yeah. see here is for the most part, like you see it with Levi or Matthew, the tax collector as well. He literally, he's collecting money. And it says immediately he just went and started following him. It's, it's pretty intriguing to yeah. see. So I think it's that immediate probably that he goes, oh, there it is. These guys are willing to to give up it all yeah. up for what in exchange for what you can get. So, Yeah, okay. Uh, so where we're at within, within this, uh, I'm just kind of looking through my notes here a little bit. Um, so Jesus is, his ministry has begun. He's, He's still, I would say he's still probably pretty early in his ministry, but at the end of verse 11, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were furious and they began and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. So Jesus kind of enters into this different area. Well, I, I don't know if I should classify it as that. I guess this is in part a question. It's a different season of ministry, right? Like, so now all of a sudden there's, there's kind of the opposition that has arisen and, it's been a few teachings. They've heard kind of some of the things that we've talked about in past weeks in Luke. Like they believe, they're excited, but now it seems like the opposition is starting to be consistent. Like it's he's starting to grow. His notoriety has grown, but also now he's his adversaries, if you will, are growing. So in that season, people are trying to kill him. It's a different, different plan. What we see from verse 11 to verse 12, it says, and then one, uh, one of those days, Jesus went to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. So he's in a season where people are now starting to look to ultimately kill him. Um, and what he does, and we see this continually throughout scripture, is that he separates himself and he starts 
um, to pray. He invites his followers in, and, and that's what we see in these following verses. So as it comes to the prayer, I feel like that's a pretty intense prayer to pray all night. And um, I'm pretty positive that in my life, I've never prayed throughout the entire night. I've had nights where I've woken up. I've had nights where I, you know, I've laid in bed and prayed for a while, but I can't say that I've prayed the entire night. It, as I'm reading that, is there something lacking in in me or is there something extra special in 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 Jesus that he has this, uh, I don't know, this ability, I don't know if that's the right word, to spend the entire night praying or was it that? much of a difficult decision that he was working through it in prayer? I, I don't know. I feel like it's a pretty open-ended question. Um, yeah, that's so what I'm thinking. Short answer is yes. He, there's something extra special about him and not you. So I feel like, yeah. I don't know. This feels like deja vu. I feel like we, I don't know if we've had this question before and I've answered the same way. I'm just going, ah, oh, this is really neat. That, that, it just feels like I've had this thing before. But um, yeah. So that's the short answer. Uh, the long answer is, and thanks for asking it, about prayer because I actually wanted to spend a lot of time here. And mm, uh, the, the okay. first couple, I, I filmed this like five times. And so started okay. at like five in the afternoon, finally wrapped it up at like one thirty in the morning on Christmas Eve morning. It was just a mess. And uh, okay. some of them were really long, like over an hour. Uh, the, the one before the one I finally finished with was like 57 minutes and kind of wrapped up at 45, the one that, you know, okay. uh, we offered. But um, a lot of it had to do with this moment in prayer. Cause it's like, what in the world is going on? And, like, yeah. we, <laughs> this is interesting and intriguing, and we probably need to figure out why in the world Jesus is offering that to us. And so as you look at it and try to sort through it, you go, okay, what is he doing? Okay, is he praying? Is it that he doesn't know which 12 to pick? I mean, that's kind of the yeah. the initial thought. Is the, is there different ones he should have picked, or is, is, is it not the ones he should have picked? And then he goes, well, that's strange because he's God. So it's not like he doesn't know what the right decision is. I don't think. Right. I mean, so I right. think there's several things to think about. The, the first one is this. I think we see prayer as a duty, right? Mm-hmm. So we pray because that's what makes God happy with us, uh, or that's how we get sustained. But this really is a picture of the whole goal of the gospel, right? The whole goal of the gospel is for us to be with God in his presence forever. So imagine the pain of this world and the complications for Jesus who had lived his entire life in heaven. Right? Since the very beginning, everything was perfect, perfect communion, perfect everything. And then he does the hard work of stepping down to this painful world. Right? So he does it. And he has some great moments where he is serving and caring and doing miraculous stuff. And there is still this horrific brokenness that people want to murder him for it. So what we see over and over again the last several times, so we see Jesus go out to the, you know, with all the wilderness, he gets tempted and he finds his sustenance in his life in the desolate places with God. And then we see he does it before he enters ministry. And we're going to see over and over again when Jesus just pours himself out. And when life gets really, really hard, it says he's going to withdraw the wilderness to pray literally just, a chapter before it says often Jesus withdrew to the wilderness to pray. So this right. isn't he prays because he needs something. Uh, he needs God to intervene in some way, which is how we usually pray, right? So if you think about when yeah. we pray, how we pray, it's always about intervention. God, would you intervene? Would you save my marriage? Would you heal my cancer? Would you give me guidance on which job to take, right? It's all about this moment of intervention, which is a, a reason to pray. Jesus actually tells us, hey, when you need something, you ask, you, you, ask, you seek, you knock. So there, there is moments of intervention that we should pray for but that's just a small portion of the purpose of prayer and so well i would guess and i'll get to it in just a second that there's some intervention jesus is asking for not for his own behalf by the way but for his disciples would be my my assumption what we're really seeing here is for 12 hours jesus is back in the world that he knew and longed for so we see this in full shame like ah our attention span can't do that and what we really should see here is what you're seeing is a picture of the things that come. Could you imagine being at peace mm-hmm. and connected with God for 12 hours? So yeah. basically every night for the last 10 days, I don't know what's going on. I'm just waking up in the middle of the night, like like, like 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the morning, I'm just waking up wide awake, heart racing. Like last night, literally at 2.30, I'm sitting on my couch eating ice cream. I don't know why. I don't know what else to do. So I'm just sitting there going, what is going on, right? But could you imagine like not being startled by the middle of the night and waking up and going, okay, what am I supposed to be praying about? God, what does he want to tell me? But just being at peace in that. So for 12 hours, we just see Jesus 
reconciling this world to the way it's supposed to be. It's kind of like a miracle. We think miracles are God intervening to show off that he's God. No, he's, he's setting the world back the way it's supposed to be. There's not supposed to be pain and sorrow and death and disfigurement. You're not, you're not supposed to be blind. You're not supposed to be lame, right? So what we see in every miracle is God resetting the order to the way he designed it, not actually him stepping in and, you know, doing something supernatural. He's, and, and you know, messing up the natural world that is the world that he designed we've messed up the world and so you see pictures of that and so for 12 hours what you see is jesus actually just finally being one with the father so you got furious people and he goes and he pauses and so i was reading oh, let me see if i have it in my notes here uh, uh the book directions is, uh let's see if i can find it where is it where is it where is it? i don't remember the guy who wrote it i don't know if i took it out of here oh here it is a guy named james hamilton wrote it in the 70s but in it he tells a story and I shared it a couple times in the sermons that I didn't, that didn't make the cut. And I was really intrigued by it because he was talking about prayer and he talked about ice houses. Not like that. When I think of an ice house, I think of that little shed that sits on top of the lake. You break the hole and you fish in. But like, yeah. you know, I don't know how long ago, hundreds of years ago, they would build these buildings and they would cut out ice from the rivers and the lakes and they'd bring them into these buildings. And they would they would try to keep it as like sealed up tight as they could. And they'd put ice all in it and they'd cover the ice with sawdust. It makes sense. Lots of sawdust so you don't slip on it. It actually was an insulator. You know, you're building stuff so you have all this sawdust anyway. So they pile sawdust in with all this ice so the whole floor you can imagine was just ice so imagine like a like an outhouse but just filled with ice and then that's where they'd keep all their stuff for the winter and then even into the spring and summer right as long as they could this is this was their approach to a refrigerator literally it was a walk-in cooler you know hundreds of years ago and he told the story of a guy who had this really expensive heirloom pocket watch that both was worth a lot of money i think if i remember the story correctly and really significant to his family and one day when he was in the, the uh, ice house getting stuff, I assume, he lost his watch and was pretty devastated. Spent days, if not weeks, trying to find it and then had his buddies and all sorts of people go and look for it, take the thing apart and could not find it anywhere. Somewhere in this deep sawdust was this, this you know, this watch was lost. And um, finally, I think his son, some little kid, like, I don't know, six-year-old kid goes in there and says he'll go look for it and within minutes comes out kind of holding the pocket watch going i found it i found it and they're like how in the world did you find it he said it was simple i just walked in i shut everything i got out of the noise and i laid down and got really really quiet and listened for the tick of the mm. clock right and so we frantically are like god intervene 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 but this little boy's going yeah. i just went and kind of settled everything down and listened and i think that's probably where we miss prayer. Lots of us talking, not a lot of listening. But a lot of it should be, what would it look like for us to actually pause and take some deep breaths and just be with God? If we can't do that, then we're missing the whole point of Christianity. Christianity yeah. is not a, 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 a th- theology and a worldview of doing at all. It's We don't have to do. We can just be because God still loves us and he's providential in those things. And so if we can't get this and understand that, we've literally completely missed the whole idea of Christianity. So what we're seeing is Jesus lean in to what how it's supposed to be, communing with God. So you've got that. So more than likely it's, hey, the world's really hard. And Jesus, we just saw that they just plotted. This is the beginning of the, you know, the, the yeah. plot, the conspiracy to kill Jesus. And they will be... You know, they will be fruitful in their plan, right? And so what does he do if he knows all the stuff? He goes and he goes back to the one order that makes sense, which is him with God. So that would be my assumption of probably what's going on there and the fact that we understand it through night. So he goes, he, a lot of people go, well, he's trying to figure out which 12 to choose. I don't really think that's the case, personally. I think he knows who he's going to choose. I think he's known who's going to choose. I think the minute he interacted with Andrew, he knew who the 12 disciples were going to be. He knew all those things. I don't think this is, oh, God, is it this guy or is it this guy? I don't think it's that. What I do believe is he understood the, the cost of being chosen yeah, and the weight of being chosen and the fear of being chosen. And so when we see the picture of Jesus about to go to the cross, we see another picture of him praying. And when he prays there, he's not praying for himself for the most part. He's peering into the future, all of his apostles then and all of his disciples now, including us. And he's asking for unity and 
sustenance and life and all those things. And so I think what you see here is Jesus is spending time with God in his presence, and he's probably really going, God, it's going to get hard for these folks. Would you sustain them? Would you care for them? Would you give them the confidence? When I tell them tomorrow that they're going to be my sent ones, they're going to be my emissaries, would you give them real confidence that I will sustain them and I will be with them to the end, right? And so I think it's probably more of that picture of presence and then partnership. God, I want to be in your presence, and I want to pray for those who's going to partner with us. Hmm. I feel like as you were talking, one of the things that I thought is that, you know, for us, it feels like it would be overwhelming. Like, how do I spend amount of time in prayer and i don't i think to your point is that this is this is the environment this is like god left jesus left perfect union with the father and so we would long for that and i feel like if for our personal lives in our journey like um just using my past as an example like there was a season in my life where i was in you know bible college that it was like every every morning monday through friday or monday through thursday i forget what it was we got to spend an hour in prayer and worship. Like it was kind of our our hour. We could be praying, we could be singing, we could really whatever we wanted to do. Just the idea was that we would meet with Jesus. And at first that hour seemed daunting, right? Like it was challenging. Like, what am I gonna do for an hour? How do I fill that time? But what happened is that over time, it becomes easier and easier. And, and, it, and eventually it came to the point where the hour would almost like fly by. And I, I can't help but wonder if that's kind of the picture of what, what even Jesus, he, I don't know if he, I don't think he set out to go, Hey, I'm going to spend all night, but just in communion and in fellowship with God, it, it ended up being maybe all night as he's looking at that. So uh, I don't know. I was just thinking of that, that if, if you're in your personal journey and you're thinking, man, I don't even know how to spend 20, 30 minutes alone with God and in, in doing that, I would say that it, it gets easier over time. The more time you spend with him, the easier that becomes and the more you look forward to it and the more that you enjoy it and the more time you you desire to spend with him. Um, so that was just what, what I was thinking. Was there anything else in kind of specifically uh, this first verse, verse 12 prayer that you wanted to get to that you didn't, didn't get to on Sunday? No, I think it's just, I, you know, I just think it's important to highlight that prayer isn't what we think it is. That's not just, mm-hmm. you know, asking, asking, intervening, and you know, like it, yeah. it really is. You know, like uh, uh, if you can imagine um, an old married couple that have been married for 50, 60, 70 years who can go on a car ride and uh, slow probably in their Buick, but, you know, go on a car ride and uh, and just sit there in silence and just be like just because they enjoy the presence for another like that, I think, is the picture of prayer that we still miss like this. You know, sometimes just taking a deep breath and pausing and just being still before God is is prayer. So when you see, like Paul tells us, you should pray without ceasing. You're like, well, how do I do that? I don't have enough words. And it's like, well, that's actually probably a good place to start without a lot of words. And so I I think Pastor Jeff talks about one of his seminary professors that says prayer is listening to God talk and when you're trying to get a word in edgewise or something in that sense of just going, you know, there's just something about sitting still and just being. So I'd go, yep, 12 hours, probably not going to do it. And that's okay because you're not the God of the universe, right? You're also not going to be able to lay your, uh, you know, spit into some mud and put it on someone's eyes and go, Jesus, right. see, right? So this isn't like, wow, Jesus does that. I got to do the same thing. Look, if he can do 12 hours, but he also can bring dead people back to life, how about 12 minutes, right? You know, just those kind of things. So Jesus isn't setting the bar to go, this is what you have to do. Because if we can meet the bar that Jesus has set, there'd be no reason for him to go and pay the price first. And so please don't right. see this yeah. as I am so inadequate. It's going, yeah, yep, you are. You're not Jesus. So how about we spend some time with him and let him be the adequate one over us. Right. So just tell him, hey, God, I, Jesus, I want to thank you for what you've done. And boy, I would like to learn to sit still before you, but I'm not very good at it. Could you help me do that? And just maybe it's 12 seconds, maybe it's 120 seconds, then maybe it's 12 minutes. But there is a process to that. Yeah. I, I don't think I can sit still for 12 hours. At, yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, so I, I feel like I have two kind of open questions, okay. may, maybe random. Like one of them was that you had talked about kind of what an apostle was and you, you kind of use the the official representative of the sanhedrin sanhedrin um Sh- shila i think is what you would shalia s-h-a-l-i something like that let me find yeah. it yeah 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 so 
so I felt like I was, there was kind of a question if there was anything more that you wanted to talk about in that kind of what an apostle was and what that was. But then also you had talked about from 14 to 16 where it's the list of the names of the apostles. Um, and, and what was, you know, what was the importance of that list? So I feel like that's an open-ended question of, of well is going. Is there anything there that didn't make the cut for Sunday that you wanted to share? Yeah, so first of all, sorry for the slip on Sunday. I'm preaching and talking about Shalia, Shalaya, and, you know, Aramaic, which would have been the language that they had been speaking. You got Greek, the written language, because of the Hellenistic kind of influence. You got Hebrew of the Old Testament, but kind of in this interesting ground is this language so uh, that Jesus would have spoke. So when he would have said this, while Luke would have put it in Greek, because that's what the writers would have, our readers have been reading, what they would have heard was Shalia. And when I was speaking, I actually said Sharia. And I was like, oh, no, no, not Sharia law. So sorry about that. And that was, so I was sitting listening again, and Julie kind of laughed. I'm like, I know, I, I should have. Yeah, I, I didn't even um, hear it. But, uh, <laughs> so, but yeah, so like this isn't like Sharia, like Sharia, like Muslim law, you know, this expectation yeah. of kind of a, uh, an expectation of a religious response. And yet um, what they would have heard is pretty um, value uncovering, right? Like, I mean, the folks who got chosen this, by the way, if you were chosen by the Sanhedrin to do this, it was actually much more significant in the first century than being chosen by Jesus to do this. So, uh, so yeah, they're not real sure Jesus is the Messiah, except for these guys who have left everything. And so for them to get that kind of authority and responsibility and duty was was pretty hefty. I mean, the, uh, the Sanhedrin, very controlling. Uh, yeah. They would have been very, very um, intentional in their vetting process of who would get the opportunity to do this, right? And mm -hmm. so the idea that Jesus kind of gives them the same picture of you are going to speak with authority on my behalf for my mission is very, very significant. And so while we're going, oh, cute, you call them apostles. No, for them, the sent ones was really significant. Yeah. It is a message and it is a purpose kind of connected together you have a message it's not your message it's the one who created the message the one who made you an ambassador it's his message but you're the one with the authority to make sure the message gets to all the places so literally for the sanhedrin and be like if you want the folks in galilee to know this it's only going to happen if you take this news to them so they would have heard that and heard the duty and responsibility and the opportunity of it and there would have been a weight to it so they would have heard that and go, okay, now we're going to see this kind of play out of uh, how does that happen. And then what you're going to see, which is pretty interesting, for the next little while, Jesus is not going to send them anywhere, right? We'll see soon that he's going to send them out and split them up in pairs. But that hasn't happened yet, so he's going to tell them something is going to happen for them. Luke's going to prepare us for it. But yet what's really going to happen is these 12 are going to be invited in to a deeper level long before he sends them out. So while he's making a declaration of what's to come, what you're going to see next is Jesus kind of huddles up these guys and cares for them yeah. and teaches them in this. So there is a season of learning, but it's a pretty short season in the light of kind of how much this movement moves in so, such a quick time. So that I think probably is important for these folks yeah. to hear. And then the other side is, yep, there's 12 of them. And honestly, I just felt, I just was really confused by the, the verses and going, God, when I laid this out, I felt like this was the right place to end up the year on this calling. But this is a lot of names, just a lot of names. And Luke wanted us to know these names and wanted to know Judas is a traitor. But why, yeah. why is, like, I just couldn't, I could not put my finger on, like, is there anything specific here that needs to be highlighted? And, like, I literally read an extra, like, I wrote all the material, got it all ready, and I was like, I'm preaching preached it once and goes, this is still not it. So I went back and grabbed a book called Ordinary Men by John MacArthur, read the whole thing, like it's 260 pages. Like I just devoured it going, is there something here? And I just, I think ultimately what's here is these are not people you would start a movement with. Yeah. None of yeah. them. None of them are people you would lean into and start a movement, which is really beautiful as we think about what God could be calling us to in 2021. It just yeah. doesn't make sense that these are the people, right? And just to be yeah. candid with you, I would be more of the people, you would be more of the people than the people hearing this would be, which is really important and significant that we kind of highlight. These are not Bible teachers. These are not folks who went yeah. to seminary. These are not people who understood the Bible or the languages or, you know, even the, the methodology. Literally, he handpicks right. right. these guys who have zero training where he's going to get all the credit. And so 
this is one of the murky things in the 21st century that we have to wrestle through is, okay, how do yeah. we equip people to go and do this and yet understand that the greatest work is not going to be done by pastors who collect paychecks for right, this. Right. And so that I think is pretty significant to go and, hey, we got to highlight this, but we got to figure out how to help make sure that people understand that this calling is for people who you wouldn't think were the ones who would be qualified for this. So if you're hearing this and you feel really incompetent and unqualified, you're probably who he's going to use. And so I think that's the piece of the 12 that we got to see of it is not, it's not who you think it is. Like it, it is surprising. And I mean, it's like, this crazy story that M. Night Shyamalan would create that you go, oh, I see dead people, right? Like, it's like, whoa, didn't see yeah. that coming. But if you want to predict how it's coming, it's not going to come through the people you think it will. And so yeah. if you feel like you're not the kind of person that God would use, the reality is that probably makes you the kind of person that God yeah. wants to use. Yeah, I feel like long before I even got into ministry, one of the verses that I was always drawn to was, I think it's Acts 4.12. It says yeah. when they saw the, the courage of Peter and John, I think it was Peter and John, if I'm remembering that correctly, they realized that they were uneducated, ordinary men, but they had been with Jesus. That has always been, for me, kind of the the criteria for somebody to be an effective minister of the gospel is that they spent time with Jesus. It doesn't matter your pedigree. It doesn't matter your Bible knowledge, your background, your history, your family history. It, if you spent time with Jesus, that is what qualifies you to be minister of the gospel. So I think that it's, it's a beautiful picture. And even for me as kind of a professional Christian, I find such comfort in the fact that Jesus picked a weird team. Like, I think that you'd use that vernacular on Sunday. It's like, these are strange guys. They don't fit. They wouldn't probably interact with one another if it was apart from Jesus. Like this was a unique group of guys yeah. that Jesus used. So I, I, this is going to be a little, I didn't use it in the sermon uh, because I was like, oh, it's probably too uh, pointed. And uh, But for you guys who listen to this, for all three of you and my parents, um, I'll use a few guys. Literally, Simon the Zealot was a, like, he, w- he would have been a violent extremist who hated, hated the Roman government. Like, this is Antifa. Yeah. This is Antifa, right? Like, yeah. so you got Antifa <laughs> hanging out with the, the guy from the IRS who's doing the audits, right? Going, give us like, this is that group. This is the fastest with uh, people who hate all rules and regulations, whatever it is. And I didn't mean Antifa. You have your opinions on that. You can have them. Yeah. I'm just saying there are people who want to overthrow the government and people who are entrenched in the government and found all their benefits in the government, right? So yeah. Simon, uh, the zealot would be like, how dare you tell me I can't go and do anything and I got to stay home. And you politicians, you're still collecting a paycheck. And, and then Matthew, the tax collector is like, yep, sure am, right? Like, I mean, it's, it's these people. And somehow Jesus takes them and puts them with a bunch of fishermen. And they're all from Galilee. And here they are. And this is this is a weird team. And it's a weird plan. And it's not going to work if he's not God. Yeah. But we're going to see, literally, even if you don't believe any of that's true, right? Do you understand? Here we are in 2020 talking about this man. And the only reason we know the story of this man is because these 12 apostles take this story everywhere right you're gonna you can see this and that's where the book is really helpful like it goes to india and to europe and to africa all these places because of these 12 guys and regardless of what you believe about christianity you have to understand that we are talking about it and constantine split up time as a result of this guy right and it all comes from these guys so it's a crazy plan that's where i go it doesn't seem like it would ever work and the fact that it did work should imply that maybe there's something we should consider about this guy named Jesus. We're not talking about many other people in this light 2,000 years later. If you go back to the first century and you see this move and you go, how in the world did some fishermen manufacture this? Right? They didn't. It was God leveraging his spirit and his people for this good news. And so I just think, yeah, there's a lot to talk about in these 12, but it is a really, really weird broken team candidly our staff is a much better team much more qualified (laughs) than this team of broken people and so just want to point that out to you the one of the one of the statements that you made that i feel like is in in line with what we're talking about is that that encounter with jesus is the most important moment of any life like i think that that's that's a highlight the the encounter with jesus is such a critical important factor and moment for every believer that that again kind of goes back to the to the qualifying of you to be able to do ministry it doesn't mean that you've got it all together but that 
that encounter with Jesus is what's so critical. Yeah, so we underestimate that over and over again. Yeah. We hop yeah. in the way. We think if we come up with another clever series, we do some new songs, we create this great online presence, somehow that's yeah. going to be the move. Or if you give that your child or your child-in-law that book, that's going to be the thing that's really going to help them over Christmas. It's like, God, how in the world do we miss this? We, we, this moment where Jesus comes face to face with his people. You see it for these 12 disciples. You see yeah. it for Saul who becomes Paul. You see it for eight, like over and over again. It's that collision, that encounter between Jesus and his people. And I think the way I said it on Sunday is, in fact, we cannot, it is impossible to over-exaggerate the importance of this. However important you think it is, yeah. multiply it by our national deficit. And it is greater <laughs> than that, right? I mean, it is so significant. And yet... We continually underestimate it. Yeah. So uh, kind of moving then to John uh, chapter one, what you did was basically you you looked at the disciples. So John's disciples who ultimately then followed Jesus kind of changed verses from Luke six to John one. Um, and I guess in that uh, you explained kind of the example or what we saw is that Jesus tells Andrew, Andrew tells Peter, Peter tells Philip. Philip tells Nathaniel, and you even then took that back to um, to Jacob back in the Old Testament. So uh, I guess I'm looking for you to just kind of anything more in that, that as you look at this example of the disciples telling their those that are close, then kind of going, it, it kind of, again, talking, Jesus shows up, he says, come and see, and then go and do. You see this example of, of Jesus inviting his disciples to be part of it them following and then them ultimately doing God's work. So anything you wanted to add in that? To yeah. You? So we're, we're 50 minutes in right now. I've got about 10 more. So okay. I don't want to, uh, you know, consume too much time here, but uh, yeah, I think there's something significant. Lots to see here. Typically a, a pattern, right? You have it once you have it. And it's like, Oh, that's a neat coincidence. Yeah. You see it over and over again. Then you go, Oh, that's not a coincidence. That's a pattern. We probably should pay attention to it. So one of the things first, just point out real quick is this, this Nathaniel, uh, we believe it's probably Bartholomew, not not 100% positive, but every time he's mentioned with Philip, it's Bartholomew and some of the scriptures, Nathaniel and the others. And so you go, okay, is this the same guy? Well, we think he is, think he's the apostle. Um, that's why I jumped back into some other books. Ordinary Man talks about this a lot uh, that John MacArthur wrote. But Bartholomew literally means, bar just means son. So son of Tholomy is what it basically means, which would have been a last name. Nathaniel would be a first name. So some of the things that you see in this language, sometimes you see it Matthew, sometimes you see a Levi. They are in a complicated world, and they had been for a long time because the Jews had continued to be conquered by different nations. You go all the way back to yeah. the time of Babylon, and you got Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those are, those are Babylonian names. They had Hebrew names. Yeah before that right and so you got matthew and you got levi one's a greek name or one's a, a roman or greek name one's a, a a hebrew name so it does get a little confusing in all those things and yeah. so you go okay it's the same person so we think son of bartholomew probably is nathaniel by the way that would be how we would use an english like williamson as a last name literally just means son of william so we still do those things in terms of that stuff so so you see here is this moment that jesus shows up and these aren't really I mean, the moments where, you you know, the story of the fish, that's really, really cool and all that kind of stuff of Jesus says do this and he says immediately follow them. But this, what we see now is it isn't the, like the, the initial interaction. The initial interaction is Jesus shows up, John the Baptist goes, you got to stop following me. you got to follow this yeah. guy. And so first and yeah. foremost, we got to make sure we highlight that, particularly in 2020 in a celebrity, even pastoral church kind of infatuation with leaders and typically those with charisma or whatever and i just would just want to point out really really important here that that over and over again who you're being called to follow is not some uh, author or writer someone who speaks your language or pastor really like john the baptist gives us the picture of that he goes no no i'm just removing the obstacles when you see jesus you got to follow him so if you're coming here and you're participating in this the whole goal of this is not so you'd be a disciple of one of us i mean paul corrects that it would be that somehow you move your eyes towards jesus and here's one of the things as you move your eyes towards jesus you're going to see a big disparity between christian leaders 
and Jesus. One's fallible, one's infallible. So you see this with John the Baptist. Andrew is a guy already on the outskirts. He's already a searcher and a seeker. He's a fisherman going, what in the world? It can't be this religious duty. It's got to be something. And finally, finally, with all the searching, finally he comes and has this encounter with Jesus. So you see first the picture of John the Baptist making this declaration of going, we got to remove all the obstacles because when you see him, I'm going to point it out. He's going to change everything. And so it's just really important that every single bit of this transference of the gospel into our lives and this transformation all happens with an encounter with Jesus. And I just want to challenge us to consider whether or not we believe that's true. Like, Do you really think that if you can continue to remove obstacles, that when people see Jesus, everything will change? Like we just looked at it with this paralyzed man. These four guys really believed that they could get him to Jesus you know, a few weeks back. Everything will change. And so I am suspicious that we still don't hold this at the value that we should. That our number one goal in life is to love Jesus. And our number two goal is to remove all the obstacles so that other people can see him. And I am convinced that our faith will grow as we participate in that mission of removing obstacles. To make it simple for people to see Jesus as we see him continually transform people's lives and so just the pattern really really important there is this jesus showed up right jesus is present so what do we need to do to help people see jesus and invite them to come and see him right so that is first do you know him have you experienced him if not what how do we help you open up the scriptures and go jesus i just want to i want to experience you right and the second one is there is a very quick progression here to from i experienced jesus and it's so real to me that i'm one of the people to see it and i would go that's probably the one thing i'd want to camp out on that's probably the litmus for us like do you want people to actually see him and do you really, really want your kids to see him? Do you really, really want your spouse to see him? Not do you want to fix them. Not do you want it to be better for you and more convenient for you. But have you met the Savior of the universe to the point that you cannot help but want your neighbors to cross the street to see him? And this isn't to manipulate you or control you or make you feel shame. It's none of that. In fact, the opposite. When you see him, that stuff kind of falls off you. And so if you have a couple of days in the middle of this time, you're going, I don't really want to know what to do with this time that I have off. Maybe it's just sit still and go, God, I'd really, really like to see you. Because the natural byproduct of experiencing Jesus every single time in his presence is to go and want other people to see and experience yeah. him as well. So I think that's the piece you see it over and over again, this interaction life transformation and then a natural product of that is that you see it and uh i think it's psalm 51 where david has this experience and comes and confesses that he is a broken man who really needs salvation and it says create me a clean heart O god restore i renew a steadfast spirit me restore unto me the joy of your salvation so there's this this calling says restore unto me the joy of your salvation then it says this and then I will teach transgressors your ways. So the natural product is joy of salvation. Then we teach transgressors your way. And then it says, God, you don't even delight in a sacrifice. So now we move from this moment of we got to do penance. we got to pray. we got to do these things. But what you, de- de- what you desire is a broken and contrite heart, meaning we understand who we are in light of who Jesus is. So that none of that happens without a real supernatural encounter with him and so this is where it gets weird to go as a pastor it's hard for me to prescribe that i can't manufacture that yeah, right. so right. the only thing that can and jesus models it is carved out time sitting before the lord going would you please have your way would you restore the joy of your salvation so maybe that's what the next step for many of us is over this bridge between 2020 and 2021 and go 2021 lord i'd love to teach transgressors your ways but in order to do that first i have to have joy restored in my salvation, and I can't make that happen for you. In fact, the reality is I can't make that happen for me. The only thing that can is space and positioning before the spirit of the living God. And so that's why we can't can't underestimate or devalue the importance of having an encounter with Jesus in all this. And so I think that's the piece. We want to make sure we get it. We got to make sure that somehow we carve out space to sit still and beg the Lord to come encounter us with right where we are. And you'll know that he has because you'll want others to actually have that experience as well. Yeah. Well, 
it, we've got a couple minutes left. Is there anything else that you were hoping to get to or that was left on the cutting room floor? Yeah, I, I, no, yes. I mean, I, let me, I'll take the time, obviously, because we have it. <laughs> I don't, I, I'm not going to waste it. You know, it's, I think it is so neat that, uh, that I don't know what Nathaniel is reading. I think it's pretty important. I would argue I think he's reading Genesis 28. I, I really do, right? I think he's reading the story of Jacob in this because it's pretty neat that he just calls him. But it doesn't really matter what he's reading. But it, it, we do get Jesus' promise here, right? And so, like, in my first sermon, yeah. I was like, you know, there's the, this, I had all these Ps. One was there is this plan and there's process and there's a promise and then there's a pay off and right and all these different things it starts with prayer i'm like that's oh, a lot of peas but i do think there is this connection that you got to hear about between that promise and that payoff and so what you see is you see jesus make a promise to nathaniel that says you'll see something but in that promise here's what's so crazy he's also doing the payoff this is what's so weird so he's quoting a statement that says truly truly i tell you you will see heaven opened up and the angel of angels of god ascending and descending on the son of man this is a promise that jacob heard thousands of years earlier so he heard this promise so in this moment he's offering a new promise to nathaniel while making a declaration of the payoff for jacob this is why it's so nuanced so he's going hey jacob you wanted god himself to come down like like literally descend from heaven on a ladder and Jesus is like here I am and then he's yeah. also going but not just that not just that not this right the second there is this there's this encounter right this idea that this encounter is just this once in a lifetime one moment thing and it's like that's the beauty of the encounter what he's saying is Jacob here I am hey hey Nathaniel you've been looking for this but it's also a promise for the future you see where it says that he's coming uh, ascending and descending meaning that this isn't a once for all this is this is what Jesus is going to make available for him his kids his grandkids and for us that not only is he going to ascend he's going to keep descending and keep descending and keep coming so this encounter that's available to us isn't a once one time okay you met with Jesus at the end it's there is an experience that's available to us that we get to encounter Jesus on a regular basis because God has made a promise through Jesus in this moment and he is going to pay off that promise so what I would say is please 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 you, if you go well yeah I had that moment once you know 10 years ago that was great glad now I'm about my life it's like no that's missing the point the point is Jesus has God has opened up the heavens and made himself available to us today and tomorrow and the next day so how do we live in a life that encounters Jesus on a regular basis and that's why it goes back to this moment where Jesus pauses us for 12 hours and sits still before God we get an understanding of how we have this experience of the heavens opening up and it's sitting still in the quiet and listening for the clock to tick and then seeking and searching where that little bitty quiet voice is the reality is throughout the scriptures and this is where I'll wrap up with God whispers you see it over and over again God whispers and here's what we know about whispering we know that whispering only works if you're close if you're near right and so yeah. the fact that god is whispering all this time the fact that jesus is making these declarations to individual people it you know indicates that he is near meaning we just got to pause and listen for him and listen and listen for the whisper yeah. and so i just would invite you over the next few days getting ready for a new year to do that alongside yeah. hundreds if not thousands of us trying to sort through how to do that together yeah that's good well, I do want to say thank you, everyone, for joining us today. Really hope that this is something that challenges and encourages you in your spiritual walk. Um, if you're listening to us live, thanks for joining us. If you're watching this or listening to this via podcast, again, hope that this is something that challenges you. We hope that everyone has a very happy new year. Don't forget that this Sunday we are back in person, drive in as well as online. So we'd love to have you join us if you're looking for a place to be. Um, and we will start a brand new series on January 10th, where we'll continue through the book of Luke, talking about happy strife, happy life. So thank you everyone for joining us. We hope that you have a blessed week and we will see you next year. <laughs>